If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. On this podcast, we will continue our conversation with Pastor Jedediah Sharmer, who worked with my father for more than 10 years at Resurrection Church in Monticello, Minnesota. Pastor, take us through what you do in preparing a message. Sure. I think when we sit down at uh, the beginning of the week or even a couple of weeks out, um, I... We'll start in prayer, and my first prayer is, what do you need them to hear? Uh, I'm asking God for what in this text, in this season, in this time, do the people that I'm going to be delivering this to, what do you need them to hear, God? And so uh, I start there, and then I open the Word, and you read through it a half a dozen times, just listening for what's standing out, what uh, is speaking to me, what do I know of the people whose stories are going to be listening, Uh, what do I know of their lives that this is going to impact. And so I think that's really a dance with the Holy Spirit. It's uh, a work that is both listening to God's Word and to His Spirit speak through uh, you. And so I, I spend the first part of the week doing that um, and then writing down what God gives me in that. So that really is the beginning part of that message prep. I know my dad didn't like to get in other people's business. He was pretty good about well, I shouldn't say that. He actually sometimes really did like to get in other people's business. But I think he was also very um, sensitive to making sure he wasn't stepping on toes if he didn't think uh, it was appropriate. I'd be curious if he ever gave you any uh, advice about sermons or anything, even not even feedback on your own a specific sermon, but just maybe some general tidbits or advice. Yeah, he really was... Uh, I remember one piece of advice that he gave me probably six months into preaching. Um, I had done that part of prayer, asking God, and then a lot of homework. And Lee was pretty clear that people don't really care how much theology you know or how many big words around theology you can throw at them. In fact, he would say that usually shut people down if you tried to be uh, show off that you were smarter than them. They expected that you had done the homework and didn't need to hear about it. But he did say really clearly one of the first, one of the first pieces of advice that he gave me was just get out of the clouds. Um, And for that, he meant get down onto the ground where people live and tell that story. I think after Lee had preached 50 years and had really uh, led a lot of people, his advice to to get out of the clouds, get out of the theology and down onto the ground where you live and make sure that people know that you're on the journey too, that you are walking this out as well. So he really continued to push me to tell my story or stories of people around me, 
um, that would connect with, of course, good theology and the scriptures, but you really had to color your preaching with your own life or with stories around you. Lee would say, you're not a travel agent. You can't just hand out travel brochures. And I think what he meant by that, and I know what he meant by that, was that you can't talk about things that you haven't gone through. If, if this is a personal relationship with God, if this is a journey with Jesus, then you're not just pointing people in the right direction. You have to walk out the path with them. And so you do hear all the time uh, his own reflections. One of the things that he was that made him really accessible as a preacher was his ability to confess his sins. I mean, Lee would stand up front, and if he was talking about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness, he'd mention the last fight that he had with, when I knew him, he was married to Barbara, a fight that they had, or if there was something that, where anger was the issue that Jesus was talking about, he'd talk about his road rage, or when he'd hammer on the gas, and, and he was very accessible and real, and he fessed up. And that was always really helpful as he talked about, you're not a travel agent. Don't just point people where to go. You have to take these trips as well. And I found that to be really helpful. He never made himself, you know, the guy that was on the ivory tower or the one who had it all together. He was the saint and the rest of us are sinners. Uh, he jumped down in the boat with the rest of us and told his story like it was. Um, and so if he could walk with Jesus, we all thought, well, then we can probably walk with Jesus. Thank you, Jedediah. We have a bonus message on this podcast. Pastor Lee held Thanksgiving Eve services throughout his ministry. Like Christmas Eve, these services were more informal and interactive. There was a real sense of intimacy at these services. The first message was given Thanksgiving Eve 1987, shortly after my father had returned from a trip to India and Bangladesh. It is titled Credits. The second sermon on this podcast is Pastor Lee on December 6, 1987. Here is Pastor Leland Evenson, first Credits, then Leaving the Wilderness. You boys and girls, I want to talk with you a little bit first tonight because I want to tell you about a couple of children in India. First one is a girl, 10 years old, Rani. Rani gets up when the milk wagon goes by in the morning, which is very early, because she has to go a long ways down the road and get some water. She comes back to clean their house, which is a piece of sidewalk out in the open. No roof, nothing, it's just a plain piece of sidewalk. And her and her family eat their rice gruel there early in the morning, and then her and her father, another brother, set off for work. That takes them an hour to get there. When Randy gets there, 10 years old, she has this big kind of a basket that she carries on her head all day, carrying bricks or cement mortar. To, for this, she gets about 30 cents a day, which is probably a half a bottle of pop. When the work is over and they work till the sun sets, they go back home. And again, even after she walks all the way home, she still has got to walk, get some more water, and they have their evening meal. Now, sometimes if it's raining, it's hard to cook and to get a fire going, and so she 
sometimes shelters the fire with this pan that she uses during the day to carry the bricks, and her mother tries to get the fire going. She said, it's hard to sleep at night when it's raining in your face. She said, it's, it's okay when it's clear and I can count the stars and we can sing ourselves to sleep. But when it rains, we really can't sleep. A little boy named Manir. He's 11 years old. He was kicked out of his home when he was 9 years old in Bangladesh. He had to beg and hitchhike his way hundreds of miles till he finally ended up in Delhi, India. He gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning and spends three hours looking for waste paper, for scraps of metal if he's lucky, for polyethylene bags, for rags, for anything. For three hours he works at this. And finally when he gets enough to sell, so he gets a few rupees, he goes and has a little tea and a slice of bread. And then he rests for a while. And then in the evening he does the same thing. He too lives outside. And works like this day after day, seven days a week. Think about it. The next time your mother or dad asks you to take out garbage that takes a half a minute, clean up your room that takes a few minutes, think about it. Think about it. How would you like to be sleeping out on the street in front of your house? No roof. A piece of cement. Think about it. Your mother or dad saying at nine years old, get out of the house, we don't want you. Fend for yourself. There's a lot of boys and girls like that in this world. And so we come tonight to be thankful for our homes and our parents <clears throat> and all that we are and all that we have. Someone has said, in fact, one of our men saw this in an office, and uh, I thought about it. He shared it with me shortly before we went on our trip, and often during our trip, I thought about these words on a sign in the office where he works. <clears throat> a lot of people who are born on third base go around their whole life thinking they have hit a triple. Think about that. A lot of people, and that's you and me, were born on third base. If we're born in this country, <clears throat> we're born in a home such as I was born in with parents who didn't have much but had a lot of love. If we're born and able to go to school, most of us have been born on third base. Sometimes we forget that and think that we have hit a triple. And that's what in this text that Pastor Rich read this evening, you see, that you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, it is the Lord your God, for he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. 
most of what we have has been given us. Someone has said that the moment we're born, we're already owe someone nine months for room and board. Sometimes we forget and take him for granted and think it's my smarts and my wisdom. It's what I've done with what I have. When times get better, people often get worse. Under affluence that sometimes prosperity is worse than adversity and terms of being grateful for what we are and what we have. And so we take it for granted, the electricity we have here tonight. When we were on our trip, we never knew from moment to moment whether there be electricity or not. The water we drink, how often do we say grace? And yet every day when we were there, we would be asking, is this water boiled? We take for granted we can go to a faucet and have a glass of water. Our health, as we heard shared this evening by Pastor Rich, healthy most of the time, and if not, we have doctors and hospitals with the best equipment around. Our loved ones. We've been born on third base. We are slow to take credit uh, for many things in life. When we write papers, we make sure that the proper credit is given to an author, to another writer, and so we put the footnotes at the bottom, or someone comes to our home and uh, they say, my, this is a good cake, and we kind of blush and say, well, I didn't make it, I bought it. We don't want to take the credit because we feel guilty about it. And yet how often in life we take credit, you see, for who we are and where we are. We don't give the credits to God. We don't put his footnotes at the bottom of our lives day by day. And that was a danger that we see in the people of Israel that talks about in Deuteronomy. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory I read in that psalm this morning for my devotions. To you be the glory for your love and your faithfulness. A man was sitting on his porch one day, and a stranger came walking down the street and came up his walk and gave him $100. Turned around, didn't say a word, went down. Next day, the man was on the porch, kind of out of curiosity. Sure enough, the same man comes down the street, walks up, gives him $100, doesn't say a word. Seven days in a row, the man, the stranger, comes up to this man on the porch and gives him $100, doesn't say a word, and turns and goes. The eighth day, the man comes down the street. But this time, he keeps on walking right by the house. And the man jumps up from the porch, rushes down the street, 
takes the man by the shoulder and says, where's my hundred dollars? Isn't that the way we are? It was a gift all along, but it came to be regarded as a right. God gives us health for one day, and we happen to be sick for another, and we say, where's my health? Where's my wealth? Where's my prosperity? It's all a gift. And yet often we make it into rights. We're born on third base. And we spend our life thinking we've hit a triple. It's a given. And so we come tonight to be reminded but it's so easy to grumble, and grumbling is the opposite of thanks. Complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving, and when we're complaining, we're really accusing God of mismanagement, mismanaging the details of our life. Never forget the day when I was convicted <clears throat> of grumbling and complaining being a sin. I never thought of it in that series of way until I was driving down Highway 12, and I can still remember the place when the Holy Spirit said to me, that's a sin. Every day is more bearable, every problem less insurmountable, and family relationships are more enjoyable where there is gratitude and thanksgiving. Someone has written 10,000 precious gifts my daily thanks employ. I like that uh, Ziggy cartoon in the paper on Sunday. It says it all. Ziggy, as he's sitting there, says, after a while I figured out that I've got a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful. Somewhere along the way, I stopped anxiously waiting for things that I wanted. I gave up waiting and just went on living, and I did all the little things I enjoy. I figured that if I couldn't be happy with what I've got, then I'd never be happy. And then a funny thing happened. Once I accepted being content with what I had, I started to get the things I'd always wanted, like contentment and happiness. Strange people, aren't we? He who was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich until we know the reality of Jesus in our lives we will never be satisfied we'll never be content we'll never come to that place like Paul who said I've learned the secret to be content in all circumstances to be a base and to be a bound to learn to live life praising him grateful people if we're grateful people we're an obedient people we're a giving people, we're a serving people. For all of those things are the tattletale signs that show that we really are grateful to God. 
You've been born on third base. And so have I. But the danger is we spend our life thinking we've hit a triple. Somehow we've earned it. We deserve it. And we forget it's by grace. I've been born. By grace I live. And by grace I die. So grateful tonight. For God's grace and God's hope. For being able to look forward to that great Thanksgiving when I will be with those whom I have loved and who I've lost as others here have lost during this year. A Thanksgiving service that will never end for all who know and love Jesus. That's a gift too. The gift of coming home. The home run. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our sins. As far as the east is from the west, it's by grace. Who gets the credits at the bottom of the film of your life when all is said and done? Who is getting the glory? Who do people see that you are reflecting in your life? What about the footnotes? Do they portray that it's his grace, his love, his strength to overcome his life in you? Two men will look through the bars. One will see the mud, the other the stars. Two girls may be eating grapes. One will delight in their flavor while the other will be disgusted with their seeds. Two people will be looking at some radiant roses. One will stand in awe of their intricate beauty and refreshing fragrance. The other will complain because roses have thorns. It's a difference of attitude. We will never be the same <clears throat> after those three weeks. For now, everything I do, I'm reminded where I could be, what I could be, and how I could be different. But one doesn't have to travel to India and Nepal and Bangladesh. One simply needs to sit and quietly before the Lord and allow His Holy Spirit to perform parade before us the love of families our daily bread the love of a father who sent us Jesus and on and on it goes we've been born on third base the tragedy is as God reminds those people in the 8th chapter you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. And for that hope of that eternal thanksgiving, 
for all who know and love Jesus. Lord, we do thank you that it's all by grace. And that tonight, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you in that living way and so doesn't know the deepest kind of thanks, may there be that opening of their hearts to you. Say, come in, Lord Jesus, and make me rich, that I too can learn to be content with what I have and where I am and who I am in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Repentance means to change. It means to stop justifying ourselves and to admit His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. When we see who He is and what He's done for us and how He blesses us, and as I come back from this trip, I, I'm just reminded more and more how how blessed we are and how it has caused me to repent sometimes of my complaining about this country or complaining about variety of things in the life of the church and uh, the, the many, many things that, that the Lord has surfaced in me to repent of. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And in that kindness and love, it's meant to draw us to his heart, to look at ourselves, to be changed. We saw people living off the garbage heaps, <clears throat> going through the garbage, trying to find something to survive on and live on to not recognize who we are is for us to end up living in some kind of off the garbage of life. The prodigal son went away from his father and when it was only when he recognized where he was that he was living with the pigs and on the husks that somehow he became that he had a change of mind, a change of thought, a change of heart. And he got out of the garbage. He left the wilderness and went back to his father. Repentance is recognizing that without the Lord, I live on the husks of life. I live in the garbage heaps. I, I go through those things that really don't bring me life, but I only barely survive on the good news is we can leave that, you see. We can repent. We can change direction. We can recognize what is wrong in our own hearts. People and circumstances simply reveal us. We say, so-and-so made me mad or made me angry or made me frustrated. But that's not true. People and circumstances only reveal what's in our own hearts. I found myself on this trip trying to drive the taxis and the buses. I, I was uptight and wondering, you know, I was sure that every time we got in one of those things that there'd be some kind of accident. And so I found myself trying to steer them. And, and finally the Lord showed me how ridiculous it was. He surfaced in my heart a sense of lack of trust and confidence in his protection and that he numbers our days. So in our hearts and lives, he brings people into our lives that may cause us frustration or become impatient 
as we heard in our confession of sin. He's simply trying to reveal something about me that needs to change, that I need to repent of. We can leave the wilderness. We can leave the garbage heap. We can enjoy his forgiveness. For the second thing is, the first is to recognize our sinfulness, and the second is to realize his forgiveness and his love. For love needs to be a part of that kind of relationship. I like the illustration that Judson Cornwell uses in his uh, book called Let Us Enjoy Forgiveness. There's a young couple that have just gotten married and uh, set up housekeeping and uh, she's going to make a tremendous meal and so she takes the wedding gift dishes and she uh, gets the candles that they've gotten and she has them burning in soft music and she has prepared a meal for her husband. But when she sets the liver and onions in front of him, the magic spell is broken. He says, I hate liver and onions. Pushes back his plate. Don't ever serve that to me again. Now, depending on his actions following the outburst, she may or may not go into a flood of tears and run from the room. But Judson Cornwell says, I'm reasonably sure she will never serve liver again. Why? Because she loves him. Her deepest desire is to please him. And if he doesn't like liver, she'll never serve him liver again. That's true repentance. She has a change of mind about serving liver and thereby changes her behavior. The husband doesn't want her tears or expressions of deep remorse. He simply doesn't want liver. So it is in our relationship with the Lord. He does not want to have to reduce us to grief and sorrow. He merely wants us to change our mind and to act in conformity to his will. If we love him, we will regularly repent, you see, of the little things that we know annoy or displease him, the deeper the love, the deeper will be the confession and forsaking, the deeper will be then the forgiveness. Repenting should become as common to the Christian as breathing. We will breathe out repentance and breathe in forgiveness. To realize that he comes to forgive us and how great that is his kindness is meant to lead to repentance the son recognized his predicament and what he had done to his father's heart but he also realized he said you know what am i doing here i will go back and i will rise and i go to my father the second part is is not only changing our mind but setting our will in a different direction it's going back to that place that he has for us to realize the goodness and the love of the Lord. Stories told about a man who had been a banker, been very successful. <clears throat> well, one day it was found out that uh, as he was 
doing this kind of work, he was also had borrowed some money and uh, stocks had gone bad, such as they had today, and he wasn't able to pay it back before he was found out. And his shame, of course, was great. He'd been a respected member of the church and the community. and So he went out west and worked for a rancher for a while. And in the summer, he got a job traveling with the custom wheat uh, people who would combine, begin down in Oklahoma and work their way north all the way up to Canada, as they used to do many years ago, and some still do that. He dropped from the life of the church and the community and literally hiding his face in shame. In the autumn of the worst year of his life, they were in the Dakotas. One Saturday night, when they camped outside of a small South Dakota town, he got up early on that Sunday morning and dressed and walked into the little town before dawn. He lost. In his shame and discouragement, he found the city park and sat down on a bench waiting for the sun to rise. As he sat there, he made a decision. This would be the day he'd end his miserable life. Some way, he'd commit suicide. It's the most bitter moment of his life. But it was in that moment he glanced up and saw a very old man walking toward him from the east over the top of the hill. He walked out of the sunrise straight to where the man was sitting. The old man looked down at him and said only these words, Young man, God sent me here to tell you that he still loves you. So that he turned and walked back over the hill. The man sat there weeping at the sheer wonder of God's love. The personal way he expressed it in that morning sunrise, to be sure it had been some kind of an angel that had come to him. That's to realize, as we recognize who we are and all that is wrong with us, there is one who comes and says, God still loves you. He wants you to realize that. And that goodness is meant to lead us to repentance. When Peter saw what he had done to the Lord, you see, he went out and wept bitterly. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the midst of that, he saw himself for what he really was. The Father sees our confession as, as if it's the first time, you see. When we confess our sins, it says he, he forgives and he forgets. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them from us. When our heart remembers them, you see, it's not the Lord who is convicting us. It's Satan who is the sin dealer, who, you, who deals and use sins that we think that are still in front and, sem front and center of our lives. It's hard to live with someone doesn't realize God's grace and forgiveness, who feel they have to keep their best foot forward, who can't admit when they lose their temper or lose their patience or show their selfishness. A marriage cannot progress unless there's change, and change and two becoming one is more and more as we repent. I think of my own life and our own marriage. 
It could only grow when I would when I would repent and when my wife would point things out to me. And one time when she said, You're not being the head of this house. And shortly after we were married, she said, You know, you'd leave your stuff all over the bathroom and your ties on things and hanging around and I have three others to pick up after. Now I could have done a lot of wonderful things, you see. I could have brought her gifts and said all kinds of nice things, but at that point in our relationship, what was needed was me to change my mind and to repent about my sloppiness around the house. That was the point at which we could progress or which it could stay the same. So it is with the Lord, you see. We can do all kinds of nice things. As a Pharisee, they said all the right words, they had the right exterior, but at the point, you see, where, where the rubber hit the road in terms of being obedient to the Lord, at that point, they were disobedient. We all want to progress in our marriages, but it only progresses as I daily repent of the things that the Lord shows me in my life. We all want to progress in our relationship with the Lord, but we only progress when we allow him to deal with us in that area we're rebelling could be in our giving and our tithing and we're going to rebel and we're going to do everything else right and the lord points that one thing or it could be in bitterness and you haven't forgiven somebody today and you want to go around that and do something else it's only at the point where you're being disobedient that the lord is really interested in our lives for you only as there's that change in repentance do we progress and he becomes more real and more alive to us. And finally, to recognize and to realize and then to revise. For it says he comes to baptize us with his Holy Spirit. The other night, I got woke up about, just got soundless, Sleep about 11 o'clock and the telephone rings and I'm half awake and I answer it. Hello, Evensons. There was a female voice at the other end. So, hello, Dad. Now, I immediately began to try and put this together. I have one daughter and I knew it wasn't her voice. And I couldn't quite figure out until all of a sudden it dawned on me that my son had got engaged. And this is my future daughter-in-law who is giving me this kind of news. Now, if my son goes around talking about all that he has to give up to get married, I would become very nervous. There is an expulsive power in a new love. When we begin to talk about what we give up in terms of our life as Christians, you see, it's suspect because we really don't give up anything as we repent and change our mind. It's only to do that that we can come closer to Him so He can fill us with His Holy Spirit, that His love enlivens us and changes us and revises us as that love between a husband and wife comes in. We shouldn't be spending the rest of our lives saying what we gave up in terms of the singleness, 
but it should be that power of love that simply baptizes us in a new relationship and we gladly give up all of the other things that were a part of our life. We give up nothing except the poison and the evil and those things that the Lord sees needs to be dealt with in our life that are killing us, destroying us inwardly, spiritually, and keep us from being renewed. We need to revise and allow Him to revise our lives. And he says in Peter that you can be spotless and blameless and at peace with God. In other words, can your partner, somebody in the body of Christ, share something with you? Are you blameless in terms of relating to others? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of something wrong in your relationship with someone else? Are you spotless in terms of looking at yourself? Is there something inside, an attitude that the Lord is trying to deal with nobody else sees? Something in your life? Are you repenting of those things that are causing you to hate yourself? For when we don't repent, we begin to hate ourselves and what we are. And finally, are you at peace with God? Is there anything in that relationship with Him that He wants you to deal with? He wants you to leave the wilderness. He wants you to come back to His heart day by day in a daily repentance, daily renewal, for then we progress it's hard to live with someone who doesn't live in repentance. Luther emphasized it over and over, the daily repentance, the daily coming before the mirror, before his word, and allowing his spirit to work in our conscience. Then we progress with him and with one another. A Christian had a dream he was climbing a hill, he heard footsteps behind him on the gravel. He turned, he saw a man carrying a huge, heavy burden on his back, something like we saw in India over and over again. And he had real sympathy for the man, and he stopped to speak to him. And then he noticed that his hands were scarred, and he saw it was the hands of Jesus. And he said, oh, Jesus, are you carrying the sins of the world up to Calvary? Jesus said, no, just yours. man lives in repentance or a woman, one begins to see the great load of sins that he did carry just for me, just for you, for they are many, but he forgives and he forgets As he wants us to begin now to learn to live in that relationship with him. So we can look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. Do you know him? 
Are you living in the wilderness, bored, empty, angry? Maybe you have never said yes to Jesus in your life. Maybe you have never seen or been, had the courage to look and to see your need to change and to allow him to come in with his spirit to do a new work. Or maybe you've gotten careless and are living thinking that somehow the pollution will not give you a spiritual malaria or spiritual hepatitis. You need to learn to hate evil and to love him and to allow him day by day lead us out of the wilderness more and more into his glorious presence for we give up nothing except that which can destroy us he is patient not wanting any to perish but to everyone to come to repentance and out of the wilderness amen Once again, I want to thank Pastor Sharmer for his time. We will pick up our conversation with him next time on Keep the Main Thing, Sermons and Messages from Pastor Leland Evenson.